Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is your host Tom Quee here with the 132nd episode of the show. Today we are tackling Saint Anger and one of the common themes on Alpha Metallica, I mean one of the common themes through life really, but it's been distilled wonderfully in this show, is the archetype of the older brother or the brother's friend or the father or someone just slightly older news, an elder who has their tastes more developed and they point you in the right direction. And I am overjoyed today to say that we are joined by you know, my de facto entrance into so much shit. I mean, this guest today is the guy who got me into Metallica without question. And, you know, he's my older cousin. He's got me into so many films and video games and graphic novels, kind of made me learn guitar and, and screenwriting and all of that stuff. And just before we get to the guest, Please follow us at Metallica Pod. That's where you can keep up to date with Alpha Metallica. Um, you know, at the end, basically with every episode, I always reach out to you guys and see what you think about the songs. We got some cr criticism to get into for Saint Anger. MetallicaPod at gmail.com if you enjoy the show and you want to come on the show, you want to be a guest, you want to discuss something. We pretty much have all the songs filled now. I mean, there are always dropouts, so if you want to register your interest, get in touch with me there. But we've pretty much got the original run, the original Alpha Metallica run. Let's have a look what that is. That's 160. 62 songs and then if you really got me I mean there's going to be another covers album or an album or something like that there's going to be an EP there's going to be a beyond hardwired as I keep hypothesizing I think something like that's going to happen so yeah if you want to get your name down for that maybe you want to just discuss a concert or a top five Jason Newstead hairstyles or whatever I am down to cover anything Metallica based on the show uh, Patreon and iTunes are there if you dig the show and you want to give back the show you can leave us a review on iTunes of course you can support on Patreon I think by the time this has come out I've probably released my hardwired early days exhibition review that I recorded with my good friend Ryan who was on for Battery and we also did like a sort of YouTube but we did a small sort of video tour that we popped on the YouTube channel that should be on the Patreon now. So yeah, if you want to support, if you want to give back, if you want to enjoy Alpatalica even more, go on there. Um, what else? You know, subscribe on YouTube, find us on all the different platforms. But yeah, as I say, this is my older cousin, Peter. This is someone that I have learned so much about and I am just so happy that he's on the show. Peter, how's it going? Um, great. Uh, thank you for inviting me onto the show. It's um, it's feels weird to be on the show after listening to it for so long. Um, but yeah, good to be here. <laughs> I like, because, you know, we obviously go back since my birth. So we, yes. we <laughs> like, you remember me as a baby. Like, what's our age difference? I think you're like, you're like 10, 12 years old or something like that. I never really remember. Uh, something like that. Yeah. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 40 this year. Um, Are you? So Are you four? Okay. So we have a 13 year age gap. Christ. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, yeah. It, go, it goes way back. And I, you know, there's so much we can get into, but just in terms of Metallica, Peter used to come on holiday, because I mentioned you quite a bit on the show. And for those not aware, Peter um, used to come on holiday with us when we were younger as kids. And I was trying to think in my head, what was our first Metallica interaction? And I think it was this, 2003, the summer of 2003. So I would have just finished primary school. So I didn't really even know what Metallica was. I was just going into year seven, you know, so I would have been like 11, I think. We were going to Florida. We were going to Disneyland. And I remember us being in Gatwick Airport. You going to Virgin Megastore in the Gatwick Airport, which dates it because, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. 
You buying yeah. Say Anger, I think it had just come out in that June, July. It was like a really recent release. I remember the album art cover, it stuck out to me. And I think that was really my first taste of Metallica, like knowing what Metallica was. We sat next to each other on the plane. I remember you getting your old school Walkman out, your CD Walkman, popping the CD and putting your headphones in. And it seemed like within 10 seconds of Frantic, you turned to me and you just shook your head in shame. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know, it's just that the sound of the album is so mm. different from all other Metallica albums. Um, but what's funny you're saying about it is just in that sort of end of primary school, um, yeah. basically I got into Metallica at the start of secondary school. Yeah. So in that year seven, because um, basically it was uh, like 1991 with um, uh, the Black Album being released. Yeah, so, and so it just exploded then. So it's weird that we kind of, had it at a similar time yeah yeah that's true so, so yeah what was your i don't think i've really asked you properly like what was your metallica story like how did you actually get into it? how did you first start listening to them i think for me um so we moved um from islington to uh, enfield at that time so from more inner london to more out of london mm-hmm. so i changed primary schools to secondary schools so there's uh, lots of different people and friends uh, that you get to know. It's not like I brought my friends over from one school to the other. Um, and then at that time, um, Guns N' Roses and Huge Illusion 1 and 2 came out, mm. Metallica, Black Album, then soon to be um, Nirvana, Nevermind. And there was this, this explosion of music in the early 90s. Um, yeah. When you're in secondary school, you're meeting all new people. There was obviously way more people and had these different kind of musical influences. And everyone's just like, have you heard this? Have you heard that? Do that. And it's a little trading of seat or basically copying onto tape and then sort of like just passing them around in school. Um, and then, yeah, the Metallica, Metallica album was, was the thing that was like, oh, this is cool. This, mm-hmm. this is, and, and that, that's what kind of, yeah, that's what hooked me, basically. That's crazy that you were in that era of the band, like, because that was the eye of the storm, wasn't it? That's when they were at their most powerful, the most overwhelming. Yeah, that's when I think it just the mainstream and, and um, just kind of hit. It was probably the most commercial album, but it's the one that just sort of propelled them to, to this kind of a pretty world-famous band before that. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. To that, to that to next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're kind of like untouchable level. And, you know, in terms of, again, I was trying to trace, because there was that initial, say, anger uh, interaction. And I think, do you remember at the time we both had uh, Link to the Past on our Game Boys? We both had Link to the Past on our Game Boy Advances. And we yes. played the Four Swords. And, like, I was kind of like, I was trying to remember, like, because then I just wasn't, like, into music at all. Like, like obviously, just I, I didn't listen to any albums, any bands, like, it was when I got a little bit older, got into secondary school. Like for me, um, I got like Guns N' Roses, Greatest Hits, and then I sort of got into other stuff like that, and then Metallica afterwards. So there's two separate steps now. There is our, our you know, our dearly departed Nan, uh, Nanny Quee. I remember we were at our house, and I had just gotten an iPod. Do you remember my U2 iPod that I had? The red and yes, black the... one? Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> You remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And the U2 song that you could never delete, or the album you can never delete. No, no, that was much later, actually. That 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 was like, yeah, when they forced it all on the iPhones. This was 2004, 5. So basically, this is my first iPod, people. And U2 were releasing their album, uh, How to Dismantle Atomic Bomb, which is an okay album. But they did a limited edition iPod. Because the first iPod I ever saw was your iPod. You had a click wheel iPod. 
and it absolutely blew my mind. And it wasn't even the music, it was just kind of what it was as a piece of technology. I just thought it was like this primitive Game Boy or something. Like, But yeah, you two had this black and red iPod, and I didn't know any music really, so I took a few of Dad's CDs, and obviously my dad's really into music as well, but I just, I don't know, a lot of it was a bit too, you know, when, when you're 12, you don't really understand talking heads or that sort of stuff, it was just a bit over my head. So I had a few of my own records. I think I had like a generic Guitar Legends record. And I was getting a little bit into Steve Vai and stuff like that. I think you told me about Steve Vai. But yeah, I remember us going down to Nan's and you brought your desktop computer and you loaded up my iPod with tons of shit. And I think that is where I first properly heard Metallica there. Yeah, it was just a... Back in the day, iTunes and Apple didn't really restrict you that much. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you could just plug in someone else's iPod into your yeah, iTunes you library could. and just... Uh, just say go sync these songs and it didn't it didn't um it didn't care we just did it yeah you're so true yeah because i remember a little bit later when you know my friend ryan that i mentioned before that we went to the hardware exhibition came on for the batter episode he had one of the slightly later click wheel ipods which was the photo one which i think was the first color one which is still very similar to the original. But yeah, that was like region locked or whatever it was. So yeah, you because you used to be able to pull all the tracks from your library onto the iPod, didn't you? That was a joy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my ClickWheel iPod, I don't use it anymore. Um, and the, But if you plug it into the mains, it still works. It still works. Oh it still works. God. You can load it up and, and just get it going, um, which is um, a testament to how things used to be built. Man, it was crazy, wasn't it? You go on Artists, and then you find Metallica, and then it would just have all the albums there. No artwork or anything like that. But you could still shuffle, you could still do all this stuff. And then if we move forward in my timeline, the first gig that I ever went to, which you actually came with us, me and two of my school friends went. So this would have been, Christ, this would have been in year eight. This was January 2005. So this is more than 14 years ago. And I was in my Guns N' Roses phase and Velvet Revolver were playing the Birmingham NIA arena and it was half full. And I didn't realise at the time, but Scott Weiland was coked out of his nut. Like he was insane. Slash was really fat. Like it was still quite a good gig to see. And they played some Guns N' Roses songs. And, you know, that, that you know, and I remember the band that supported them was a band called the Datsuns that weirdly supported Metallica as well on the St. Anger tour, just before we saw them. They were like this Australian band, a bit like Jet, a bit like that, you know, that new garage rock, millennium movement, like White Stripes, Black Keys, Strokes. That's, they were in that kind of, uh, you know, that wheelhouse. And they were there. But yeah, I remember when you, because you came down to our house in Birmingham then to stay over for the concert, and you dropped a lot of, um, I mean, this is dating it, you dropped a lot of albums on Windows Media Player. Like, that is some early 2000s shit right there. Yeah. Love Windows Media Player. Yeah. <laughs> it was so easy to download the songs, though, and just didn't have them as a, you know, it was the easiest way to rip a CD. It was. It was. You're so right. To then share it. It wasn't locked into the iTunes um, yeah. ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I used to um, sort of burn CDs and had the iPod. And then I remember, I think you left Ride the Lightning on there. And I heard songs like Fade to Black and For Whom the Bell Tolls. And that was just when I was getting into guitar playing as well. And I remember finding the tab for for whom the bell tolls online and primitively playing that dum 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 dum. Like not with the speed of veracity of James, but still sort of nailing it. And like a light went off in my head, and then I like went like, full into guitar playing and became obsessed with it. Like, and it was just 
Like, I, I mean, you know, I, I would have got into them another way because it's fucking Metallica. But, you know, I've got to say thank you, Peter, on the podcast. Like, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I mean, Metallica, they actually touched on most of the songs. Um, they do have some fantastic riffs. So if you're playing guitar, you just pick up a riff and you like, and you, and you feel like you're actually playing and doing something. Um, there are, I don't know, so many cool riffs that as a guitarist learning, you're like, this is cool. This is what it sounds like on the album. This is me playing yeah, or at least yeah, learning. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you do sound like them. You're so right. And it's like, I remember as a kid, Going to PMT, which which you're aware of, is this awesome uh, guitar store in Birmingham that has like, this giant wall of guitars, and playing on a Marshall, and I, I I could barely play, like you know what I mean. And I was playing Paranoid, and I used the Marshall distortion built in the amp, and it was like holy fuck, I kind of sound like Tony Iommi. Like I'm not saying I am him, but like it was the first time where it was like oh shit, I'm kind of on that level. And I mean, yeah, going from there, and you know, you you left so many records on that Windows Media Player. I remember there was um, you left uh, uh, some loads of Van Halen on there, um, Mr. Big, who was still one of my all-time favorite bands, Paul Gilbert, you know, all, all all these records that were kind of there, and you know, it's everyone says the same thing. They're always like, "Oh, my older brother's record collection or whatever," and you know, we have the guy here, and uh, you know, you're very bashful about it, and I and I appreciate that. It's not really a big deal. You just gave music to someone else, but no, I do deeply appreciate it. But let's get into. Um, Let's get into the song, say anger. Let's get into the the mood. Like, what was it for you as someone who had been in the band, like you say, since the Black Album? Some kind of monster film dropped a little after say anger. But talk to me about that whole sort of era. Was that difficult as a fan? I've, it just felt like, to me, it felt like the, the whole say anger. Um, they were chasing something. They 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 stopped innovating they just basically like oh there's all this other sort of new wave heavy metal band type stuff you know lincoln park and all those things and they did mm-hmm. basically and slipknot and oh, kind yeah. of trying to almost like copy them in some ways and rather than like no we are the let's innovate for us and everyone should copy us or we are leading the way they just started to almost fall behind the times and like how do we do this i mean the, yeah. the thing with like no solos and the whole sound um, just changed and I'm not against innovation or bands trying something different. I mean, they obviously tried something different with load and reload, mm-hmm. but within the wheelhouse of, of, you know, Metallica and how they were going, but this just seems completely different yeah. from any other album. And then any other album since then doesn't sound like St. Anger. So they kind of took this direction tried something but then never stayed on that path they kind of came back let's say and getting into the song then so we open up with that that riff that chunky dirt under the fingernails kind of riff kind of off center and i don't know about you but i often find it hard to orientate myself in the riff there's like a few extra chuggy notes you don't quite know where you are it's quite it's quite disorientating so I was looking at that. So the sound of it is very muddy, and um, which see, even the like very very early first couple of albums, there is a clean sound, even though it's obviously distorted, that you can hear the notes mm-hmm. being played out. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're palm muted, even though they're playing sometimes quite fast, it, 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 there's a sound you can hear it. With this one, it does sound muddy, a bit kind of meshed together, um, and my, maybe you would know this better than I it was so load and reload they started 
playing with alternative tunings. It's like E flat mostly, yeah. It was mostly E flat, and I think a couple of songs are in like drop D or drop C sharp and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this one, they they, they did it more. They were these. I think most up until that point, it was just basically standard tuning. Yeah. So they had this kind of like everything's dropped down, you know, drop D or, or even lower, and it 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 does sound it just does sound a lot muddier. But when I was looking at the riff and trying to research and looking online, they were saying this riff is almost a copy or a, a plagiarism of um, Master of Puppets. Oh, yeah. I never really thought of that. But that's so true. The spider riff. Yeah, I can hear that. Um, and one of the other things that's interesting, they obviously, I mean, lots of bands do this, is that um, St. Anger starts on the half a beat before the bar. So it's on basically four and a half, which is very, very similar to um, at least the intro to Enter Salmon, mm-hmm. where it's not on the beat. It's not on one. It's on, it starts at half beat earlier. And St. Anger follows that as well. Um, so it does a little bit of a hat tip to some of their older, older classic songs and, and how they wrote them, which was interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, um, you know, they mentioned Hit the Lights as well in the chorus. So yeah, there is that sort of harking back there, but like, like Purify, the riff begins and you don't quite know where you're in on the riff. And then when the bass and drums kind of settle the rhythm, you, you know, a bit more satisfied in the progression. But yeah, mentioning about the tuning that you were saying before, we just covered some kind of monster like two episodes ago with Jeremy Riley. Definitely check out that episode. And, you know, he said the same thing. He said, because the riffs are so down tuned and muddy, it doesn't allow Hetfield to do what he's really fucking good at, which are tight, noty riffs, you know, kind of real onslaught. This one's more groove based. I do actually quite like the St. Anger riff, I have to say. I do like the intro of it. Um, Then we get into the drums, the war drums, the snare. Now, for me, this doesn't really bother me. Peter, where where are you on the fence? Do you you despise the St. Anger drums or...? I I, I do. I really do. (laughs) Um, I really, really dislike the sound of Lars' drums. Um, So I was speaking to a drummer friend of mine um, just last week. Um, He's in a band... And he tours around and he, he kind of knows his stuff. And he was mm-hmm. saying that Lars, obviously lots of drummers have their own um, sponsorship. And yeah. Lars has a sponsorship and his snare drum, it, like he's got an actual um, uh, like chrome metal rim that goes around the drum. Right. Um, I guess to make it more metal or whatever. <laughs> and it's really, really heavy and apparent. And he's tried it and he's a quite a fussy drummer in terms of his setup and his um, equipment and he uses. And he tried Lars's um, snare drum, which is about the same price as a fairly decent quality drum kit, just Mm. a snare drum. And he says it sounds horrible. Um, I guess it sounds like how Lars wants it to sound, but as a drummer, it doesn't sound nice. Um, And and I just dislike the sound of the thing. As a band as big as they are, the whole album sounds like a garage band um, recording in a studio for the first time. And I get they might want to go with that. It's like, hey, we're doing something different. But they had Garage Days and Garage Days Revisited when they Mm. were actually... And that sounds like a properly... Yeah, it sounds amazing. It's like, if you want to do Garage Days, then do Garage Days, but don't have... You know what I mean? It sounds weird. Like You can't say, oh, they want to get back to their roots and and have songs that sounded like they, they were starting out. But they'd done that with Garage Days and they sounded like a proper, well-polished band. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 do, I don't like um, 
lousy sound. No, yeah. no, that's fair enough. I mean, there were some songs in St. Anger, like Purify and All Within My Hands, where the drum isn't as noticeable, the snare. But here it really is. Like, you know, if, if you don't like it, then you're going to... Like, I understand a lot of arguments that it ruins the song. Like, I, I do get that. Yeah, there were certain things. I watched some kind of monster um, documentary the other day when uh, they were playing, obviously they didn't make it to the album, when Lars was playing some weird pattern because he said the, the, the guitars just sound stock, I think is the term mm-hmm. he used. So he tried to make the song sound more interesting with some more flamboyant point drumming and it just sounded poor. Um, but you know, I guess Lars gets some stick for his drumming. Yeah. Um, but you can't deny who Metallica are and, and what he's done. So, you know, it, it doesn't, he can say, well, sure. How many albums have I sold and how much money have I made? Yeah. 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 I mean, to me, as, as an average drummer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it, there's a lot of things online. I don't know if we shared these YouTube videos with someone else, but there's a lot of people who have re-recorded St. Anger with real drums. And I've seen also a video of someone recording it with a, a trash can snare, like using the tra- yeah. actual legit trash can as a snare. And it does sound better. To me, it kind of underscores the thematic intent of the album and the song. And I think it plays into it quite well. And it just doesn't bother me it doesn't really like kind of aggravate me to a certain extent what does annoy me about this song in general is this is a long song this is um seven minutes 21 but there's no real innovation in the guitar work past the end of the chorus so basically once we've heard the end of the chorus which is about two and a half minutes into the song there is no new guitar parts there are no new riffs there are no new solos there are no new movements but we still have effectively five minutes left of the track that they're just kind of regurgitating i mean that baffles me hetfield's a genius these guys can throw a billion riffs into a justice song and there's parts of saying that I like that we'll get to, but that I can't get beyond. Like for me, like some kind of monster, like Invisible Kid, like a lot of songs that say anger, there is just too much repetition, too much recycling. That's true, actually. Yeah, it's. Um, I was watching this TED talk, um, and someone was saying about um, is is music getting worse over the oh, years? Oh yeah, I've I, I seen that in my subscription box. I need to watch that. Yeah. And uh, one of the ones he's saying about um, is about repetition and how much you can compress a song. So he was taking software and so you basically compress software and compress text and you're trying to compress a song and it basically gives you a pattern to see how, how things are repeated. Um, and the more the more things are repeated, the more you can compress them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be interesting for it to turn runs and anger through that algorithm to see <laughs> how much it would be compressed and see the pattern. Um, but yeah, it's... I guess we'll carry on with the song, but after the intro, one of the things that really jars me is the uh, the change into the chorus, mm-hmm. uh, the, the chorus, the verse. Yes, yeah, it is a real night and day switch, isn't it? Because it goes into the same anger around my neck. And that chorus, I'm sorry, that verse, sorry, like, it has an interesting mood. It always felt to me slightly inebriated slightly gypsy-esque, slightly drunk, like you have these guitars sort of leering in and out, peeling in the verses. Like, what do you make of James singing in the verse, the melody, the guitars, etc.? It is very... It does jump between that kind of very kind of... Yeah. 
aggressive intro um, with the guitars, with the drums, really kind of like pounding it at you, and then it kind of switches and jumps, and it is that kind of very low um, melodic, very easy kind of uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, would you get past that jump? I think it starts, you kind of get that feel again. Um, I think it, it builds up much better to go back into the chorus. Um, they've done these kind of things before, like with um, Unforgiven, um, where it goes to that kind of like a big distortion and then drops down into sort of like, you know, almost acoustic style. This one, I just don't think they pulled it off. So the first part of the, of the verse, you're just kind of trying to reorientate yourself to the song again. Um, there's no connection um, no. to me. No, it feels quite... It's almost like if you... Yeah, it's almost like you pause the CD or the CD has jumped and it's gone to the next song. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Um, so, yeah, it, it obviously by design, uh, but it just doesn't, as a listener, it just doesn't feel nice. No, no, no. And Metallica are masters of having the longer songs. I mean, excuse the pun, but in Master of Puppets, for example, they build from soft to hard so brilliantly. They layer it in such a way. Like, it's like a three-act structure, the way they move from, like, a softer riff to a heavier riff and now a really kind of blistering solo. But, yeah, you're right. They kind of... So just going back to the intro riff as well, so it kind of introduces, we get the drums beating down, we get the other guitar coming in, we get the calamity as the riff kind of erupts over, and it's still a decent-ish riff. It's not the best riff on on the Sayanga album, but, you know, it's fine. Going into that chorus, going into that slightly more bluesy, slightly more jarring idea, and then we get the um, flush it out, which leads us into the pre-bridge. A lot of people can't deal with the flush it out, Flush it out. Like, does 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 that irk you, Peter? Or, I mean, it's within the song. I think it's fine. It, Metallica don't really have that kind of. Um, if you think of the lyrics and how they're sung, they don't really have like a, the backing vocal section. No. Um, that and it's not really written in. I know they have it in a couple of songs, or you know, they try and get the fans to sing that in. Yeah. But in generally, in this style of writing, it's just for one person singing without a, a, a backup section or whatever. Um, so, again, it just feels a little bit alien to how the bands normally write and perform their songs mm-hmm. um, in that kind of way. Um, it does yeah, feel, yeah, big... it, no, it does feel an odd intrusion. But to be honest, the successes of St. Anger and where I can genuinely say I enjoy St. Anger and almost rescues the song for me and I can't not listen to it and not really get entertained and engaged with this section. So the same anger around my neck, like that kind of pre-bridge. For me, it's the melody. It's the fuck it all and fucking no regrets. I hit the lights on me. And it's that purpose going forward. It's the medallion noose. It's that intrusion of that cool image there. And I think James has really got his finger on the pulse with the melody there. I think it's some of the best sung sections on the whole album, pretty much from Fuck It All, No Regrets, until Say Anger Round My Neck. Like, that whole chorus, personally to me, I think is a success and really enjoyable. Yes, and I mean, listen to the the song, and, and as much as I dislike lots of parts of it, it is particularly quite catchy, and mm-hmm. I, do, I do like it. Um, on the MTV um, Music Awards, uh, when they had the entry oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. the uh, uh, Hall of Fame, they actually played a, a, an ed- edited version down. So I think it's only about five minutes long, rather than you know mm-hmm. seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, 
with the song, and I was, I was trying to think about this, how best to phrase it, with the St. Anger song, I just wish that Metallica played it. <laughs> like, if you think of all the all the covers that they've done, and they, they sound so good, like the way that they've, they've uh, they recorded the covers and performed them and put their kind of, we are Metallica, let's do it, like the, the Queen song and Motorhead and, oh, yeah. and all of the all of old that. songs and, and stuff. And it makes it sound like it's their song or the old Diamond Head songs. You listen to them, you're like, well, actually, I prefer the way that Metallica covered it, right? And you take something like St. Anger and you're like, I just wish that that band covered it. I wish Metallica performed St. Anger. Which <laughs> is a weird way of phrasing it. But no, you're so right. You're so right. I want to hear a Garage Inc. version of St. Anger. Yeah, because, because yeah, they are, like as much as I kind of defend the snare, snare drum, I do understand. And, you know, this is a song that the band have been playing live a lot recently. Unfortunately, when I saw them in Twickenham recently, the St. Anger slot, I saw Frantic. Not unfortunately, but obviously I love Frantic, but it would have been cool to see St. Anger more. And in a live environment, the song seems to be more successful. It's just sonically, some of the choices maybe were a little misguided and they kind of, they don't bring out the best in the track, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they had all that issues with the... Um... Uh, it was the, the documented in the uh, the documentary, the, the band and recording and oh, yeah. stopping and whether that affected them or not. And you know, James said he just likes to write alone, and whether the intrusion of the rest of the band changed what he thought what the song would be or should be um, would be sort of interesting. But yeah, it doesn't feel like a doesn't feel. It definitely doesn't feel as polished. No, no, it doesn't have that artisan hand that, you know, James and Lars are geniuses and they understand how to sculpt songs. You only need to look at the first five albums for that, you know, Load and Reload, there's a few things on there as well. But they understand what works precision-wise. And there are some songs in Metallica's back catalogue, like Shortest Straw, for example, which I adore, which is a bit like, say, Anger, where there isn't that much variation in the guitar parts but they use them well they you know strip some meat off the bone in a different way they skin the cat and they they reappraise the song here as i've said we get to two and a half minutes into this seven and a half minute song and we've heard all of the guitar parts we're going to hear you know we have the thing after the verse the feel my world shake like an earthquake which is a terrible lyric like really cringy like it's almost like if you're doing a parody, if you were Steel Panther or whatever, and you were sort of satirising metal, you would write a lyric like that. I feel my world shake like an earthquake. Is it me? Is it fear? And, you know, James, so cathartic. He is singing his heart out on this. What do you make of the section where he's like, I'm madly in anger with you? Like, did you find that quite anthemic or? I... Because this isn't two variations of that, or is it both times when they have like the, the double bass going through and it, it kind of has that whole intensity? Yeah, I think it's the um, second time they sort of, because they do that a lot with this song where they sort of repeat the riff, but yeah, there is a double bass underneath to make you feel like it's a bit different, but really it's kind of the same. Yeah, it's... As I said, like, the more I listen to the song, actually, I quite like it, but there are just some jarring things that was going to pull me out of it, and... Um, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just playing a song in my head. Um, <laughs> There's not, the problem is though, you're saying that because the reason why, um, you know, you're playing the song in your head because there isn't that, there isn't any variation in the song. 
the song is effectively a two-minute song that's stretched out to seven minutes. Even the kind of, I guess you would call it the post-bridge, the I want my anger to be healthy, I want my anger just for me, he's still singing over the intro riff. You know what I mean? Like, with a lot of Say Anger songs, a lot of Metallica songs full stop, it'll get to the four or five minute mark, and they'll introduce a new riff that'll push the song into a different direction. This doesn't really happen on Say Anger, and despite how much I enjoy the chorus, the fuck it, I don't fucking know, I adore that melody, most singable on Say Anger, they just don't have enough ideas in this song to justify, it's seven minutes twenty, like, that is, that is way, like, like, songs that are that length normally have a really long guitar solo, but it doesn't have that, it doesn't have this kind of expansive idea in it that it needs. That's true, yeah, you would have a, have a guitar solo in the middle, then a crazy long outro. Exactly. Um, where, the, where the guitarist can just go off on one. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it, I mean, there is a lot of repetition. I don't think there are actually that many lyrics into the no. in the actual song. If you look at it as well, and you know all the things that James has written and taken from books or taken from films and stuff, and it, it's just it is just like the smallest amount of words that he can get away with and just repeated, um, which is a bit much as well. It, it just kind of feels yeah. You're right. It's just drags on it does it does drag on and you know it's funny because they did a video for this when they have you seen the video where they go to san quentin prison yes i have yeah yeah we we, we covered it on the show recently and i rewatched it just before it's a great video i love the video and it's so awesome where uh it's lars rob james and kirk at the gates of san quentin and the officer's like look look if you're taken hostage like you, you might be killed like we can't take any liberties for that which is just like a really nice addition but the video version is five minutes 30 so it drops 90 seconds from the song and you know what's mad it doesn't miss out any riffs doesn't miss out any lyrics it just like I am a St. Anger apologist on Alpha Metallica. That is where I've set my flag in the ground, and I understand that. But I'm also a fair critic, and there's so many songs on this record that are just way too fucking long. Like, St. Anger as a whole. Like, you know, I am going on a podcast soon. Um, there's a guy called Aaron who was on the show a little while ago for the one episode. And with most Alpha Metallica guests, which is a joy to discover, they have their own podcast. He has this podcast called Ridiculous Rock Reviews. It's a brilliant podcast. He recently did an episode on St. Anger. They despised every song. It's a really funny review. Go check it out. I'm going to go on to that, um, their show soon to discuss Van Halen's 1984, which is an amazing album. I know that you know that album well. And that album is 34 minutes long. Say Anger is one hour 15. Say Anger is almost triple 1984. And it has a quarter of the ideas. You know, to be honest, if Say Anger was a 40 minute punk rock album, none of the songs are longer than four minutes. I think a lot of people would have enjoyed it more. It's just there is so much regurgitation that it's hard to love, you know? That's true, actually. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, you said that people re-recorded the album with different sounds. Whether you could just record a an, an edited version, like you know, to have the edited for radio three minute version. Yeah. And you said you probably wouldn't actually lose a lot. Nothing. You wouldn't. You really. You really wouldn't lose much. And you know, say anger though. It should be said the song is played a lot. It's been played 178 times live. It was first played May 21st, 2003 in San Francisco, California, and it was last performed just over a week ago 
July 6, 2019 in Berlin, Germany. So the band are doing this St. Angus slot. They're pulling it out. Like, what do you think about this? On the latest album tour, they're playing at least one St. Anger album, uh, song a show. Like, it's quite a nice reflection on their back catalogue, right? Yeah, I do wonder how the... You know, some bands kind of mix up the songs. And Metallica do this, where they do the medley. Um, I do wonder how they feel about the songs now. Uh, like, we wrote it back then, and, and actually, could we tweak it? I do wonder if they change some things. Well, I guess the fans wouldn't like it if they changed the riffs or changed, improved the song, let's say, did a, a revisit. Um, but yeah, I guess if they enjoy playing it, if they get a good reaction from the crowd, they'll keep playing it, right? I mean, it, it's 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 for the fans, it's, it's for entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. If everyone just booed it when it came on, I'm sure they would have dropped it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I guess playing all these old back catalog songs is, um, that's what you, some fans want to see that, especially the new fans who haven't seen Metallica to go and they they come on and they play, you know, all the old classic songs. Yeah. Um, that's what you kind of want to see rather than just them just playing anything from what, 2010 onwards. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting when you see these bands plays old, these old songs, um, and I remember seeing a documentary of Iron Maiden when they just did the Somewhere Back in Time tour. Oh, when they great album. Just, they just played the back catalog songs. They didn't play anything modern or anything past uh, Fear of Dark. Wow. Um, it was, and it was just like, nope, we've got a whole bunch of new fans. We appreciate them. We know they love all the old stuff. Let's just do a whole tour that's just about the old yes. stuff. Yes. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we see that, you know, when Lincoln Park were touring just before, um, uh, just before, um, you know, it was like Lincoln Park tour the, the you know, the Hybrid Theory album mm-hmm. and stuff. They, they 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 almost did just a back catalog tour. Um, so I guess putting all these old songs in, it, it is kind of a hat tip to you know. I guess the old fans who were there at the, at the time and the new fans who want to see the old stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that whole we're touring a whole album anniversary thing, I love that. You know, me and Ryan and a few of our friends, we're going to see Finn Lizzie in Wales in two weeks. It's their only date nearby, and it's the 40th anniversary of the Black Rose record, which, in my opinion, is one of the greatest rock albums ever recorded. I've spoken about Finn Lizzie before, Metallica love Finn Lizzie. And, you know, Metallica have been doing their 30th anniversary things recently. So I don't know if you saw that, but they did the 30th anniversary of Justice for All. And they released like loads of like, you know, off studio cuts and B-sides and live stuff. So we're approaching the Black Album now. And, you know, it's not going to be long until we get to Load and Reload. And then it's not going to be long until we get to the 30th anniversary in, in what, 2033 of St. Anger. And I'm sure maybe they'll bring stuff out. I don't know if they'll change the songs per se, but it's just, there's so much about Sayanga that I do love. I love the sound of the guitar. I love the courage. The snare doesn't bother me, but like, I can't say I love the snare, but, but yeah, there's some things that I just can't get past. And, you know, ultimately it is the repetition. It is the lack of ideas. It is having two minutes worth of a song in a seven minute song. And they sing the bridge over the, you know, anger to be healthy idea. And then the song sort of ends really, you know, want my anger to be free, set it free. And James gets into quite a chaotic voice there, but there isn't much else in the track. I mean, any, uh, any closing thoughts on say anger, Peter? Um, 
The only thing I would say is like it's it's Rob's first album, right? Mm-hmm. So he came in and most of the songs were written and he, he uh, didn't play bass on him. it though. Um, Bob Roth played bass on it. Oh, he didn't actually record any of the songs. He just yeah, yeah, learned from, for the tour. Exactly, yeah. So so they were all recorded before with Bob. And then, by the way, some of the best scenes in Some Kind of Monster are the bass auditions. I love those scenes. Yes, and when they were saying, you know, they they, they offered him the the job, they were saying like they he makes them sound better, mm-hmm. um, and how they play. So I do wonder how if it would how it would have sounded. Sure, or would yeah. it have sounded any different if he had been involved? If they basically got the basses and then started the album, um, and he had a you Good know point. a bit of a say, at least in the bass sound and and maybe some of the songs. Yeah, I mean, like, to be honest, from what I've gathered, Metallica is a James and Lars show, and they're not going to let the new guy take over. But but yeah, they do all respect Rob, and he's a great musician. Maybe even if they didn't get the fucking therapist involved, what would Newstead have done with, say, Anger as well? But it is where James and Lars are going. It is ultimately the backwash of the rehab and the Napster, and it's so, you know... It just encapsulates so much of that era in a zeitgeist in an album. But as we always do, guys, we reach out to you. Great to hear what you think of the song Say Anger. Luke saying on the Twitter, not a fan of this, uh, like most of Say Anger for me. Ralph saying, so unfortunately, Lars' experiment with turning off the sweat with this. Lars' experiment with turning off the snare has a rather detrimental effect, particularly on this song, especially during the most thrashy parts, where it seems it's just to echo repeatedly throughout the riff. Honestly, it sounds like a damn basketball being bounced off the ground hard in rapid succession, and it bugs the hell out of me, because I think this song could be awesome with a few tweaks here and there. I dig the lyrical content discussing how anger is akin to an albatross around his neck. I can definitely relate to that occasionally, although the use of flush it out is just an odd way to phrase things, and probably Probably could have been done better. Once again, has anyone seen Kirk? And Angel thus finally saying, I love this song. I always sound check with the main riff. I mean, Peter, fair to say this is kind of, um, I, I, I can't call it a bad song. I just think it's the victim of bad decisions. Yes. And I said, if you listen to the song, it is catchy. You do like, there are some really good parts to the song. Um, but overall, the song is unfortunately just let down by, to me, the sound sometimes, the repetition and the jarring transition between, you know, intro, verse, chorus. Um, it, it's, yeah, just, you're right. It's just some bad decisions. And that's what you take away from the song, unfortunately. Yeah. Rather and than just the cool riffs. And- totally. Totally. Yeah. And especially towards the end as well, after the third chorus, the way it goes back into the song as well, it just... There aren't those little, like when you think about an album like Death Magnetic, for example, that has so many riffs that connect riffs and time changes. And, you know, they're really thinking about this thing. Like, how do we how do we adapt the mood? Whereas this here feels a bit more stapled together and isn't kind of a cohesive whole. And, you know, I will say that the music video version that lops 90 seconds off is a more succinct package and I enjoy it more. But as we always say, guys, let us know what you think about St. Anger down in the comments. Get at me at Metallica Pod. Um, Peter, we will close with a few quickfire questions. The first of which being, what is your favourite Metallica song? Oh, song. Mm. Um, all time. All time Metallica song. That's one to um, go with. Um, Don't say say anger. Potentially. <laughs> um, <laughs> all this. Uh, Fate of Blank. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think. 
there was some fantastic mood and riffs and build uh, in that song. Completely um, agree. Completely it's a, agree. It's an early one, but I, I really like that. I, I remember um, burning a CD when I was quite young. I was about year eight, so about 13. And I was with dad and we were driving down somewhere. And I just put the CD on and we were just listening to it. And Fade to Black was on there. And I remember... Li- I, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember it's like pulling into some random petrol station and him paying for the petrol and listening to Faith Black and being like, wow, it's incredible. And I mixed it with um, Fire Garden by Steve Vai, which is an incredible Steve Vai record. And you know the song Brother? Yes. That was playing as well. And like I like afterwards, I sort of sequenced them that way. And uh, yeah, obviously Adore Vai. We could do a whole Steve Vai podcast, by the way. Like, uh, we could do, like, a whole two-hour breakdown of Vi. Like, we both worship the guy, right? Yes. Uh, he's, he's, he's a, just a fantastic, fantastic yeah. uh, guitar player. He's a genius. He's, a, he's an absolute genius. And and I mentioned him many, many times. And me and Ryan actually were talking yesterday about Eam and Smile. That's legit one of the best 80s albums ever. Like, it's 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 breathtaking. Oh, it's a. I mean, David Lee Roth leaves Van Halen and then goes and grabs Billy Sheehan and <laughs> um, Steve Vai to be in his new band. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a it's a pretty formidable lineup. What did he say? I think he said like, I want to out Van Halen, Van Halen. And it, when you've got songs like Shy Boy and Yankee Rose and a Ladies Night in Buffalo, it's like, well, you've fucking done that. Like they're perfect songs. Yeah, I know it's a little bit gimmicky with uh, uh, Yankee Rose and stuff, but I think that's the first time I heard the trying to mimic a voice on the guitar yeah, that Steve does, yeah, and he basically it's, it's, has a conversation with David Lee Roth at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. brilliant. Wow, wow, she looks wild. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, the video to Yankee Rose as well is brilliant. I've never seen that until recently on YouTube, but um, yeah, good choice. Fate, yeah, fate. I, I totally agree. I think the... The, the, the closing solo to Fade to Black never never fails to get me really emotional. Like, it's one of Kirk's absolute highlights. Yeah, that's, that's a great song. The intro as well. The intro solo. The intro solo, which I can never properly play. You know that fast bit? Like, I always struggle with that. I could never nail it. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, Kirk gets a bit of stick, but, um, yeah, he does put it out the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, like, like, I, I slander Kirk horribly on this podcast, and I know that I do, but he still has some, like, unbreakable high points. Okay, what about, um, what about album, Peter? Favourite Metallica album? Uh, it's the Black Album. It's the mm. one that got me into Metallica. It's the, 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 the door into that world. Um, so, for that reason, um, it has to be, it has to be the Black Album. And what about favourite member of Metallica? James, yeah. um, not some. I mean, he's a decent singer, but I think his riffs and his persona, and he, he, he kind of to me is Metallica. And mm-hmm. and if I had to pick myself, as like if I could be one person, then in that band, it, it would be James um, without question. Seeing them live, I, you saw. I know you saw them on the Cunning Stunts tour, right? Or we saw them on the Low tour. Uh, it was the Cunning Stunts tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't aware of the stunts they were going to be doing. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Crozier and Conformity played with them, uh, backed them. Um, oh, were they the support? And, That's so fucking cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So during one of the songs, uh, their, their pedal uh, on the drummer's, uh, drummer's uh, bass pedal uh, broke. So 
mid-song, a roadie came out and switched out his pedal. It was quite impressive. Um, one of the big crane lights halfway through the concert broke mm -hmm. and they couldn't fix it. So for the rest of the concert, it was just stuck in one position off. And we're like, okay. So when someone fell from the ceiling on fire, uh, fell from the ceiling and then some guy ran around on stage on fire and all the things exploded, it was like, but actually, there was actually been things that have been breaking and legitimately been breaking throughout the show. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, this can't be. This can't be real. What is going on here? Um, but obviously, that was that was the few things that actually staged. Um, but yeah, I, I did enjoy that that concert. And uh, final question then: If you were to do the podcast, I know I know you're into a lot of bands. Like, if you did a podcast like this about a band that you love, what's the band you want to cover? Oh, um, there are a lot, a lot of bands that I really love. Um, but recently, what I've been listening to a little bit more of uh, and going back to is actually is Megadeth. Um, yeah, I, I going back to um, especially the the lineup, which I think you would hopefully agree with me um, with um, with, Ma with Marty Menzer. and Nick Menzer and David Ellison. Yeah, the ultimate Megadeth lineup. So you know. Um, Holy Wars oh. and Peace, uh, Holy Wars, Canada's Extinction and Euthanasia, that kind of era. Oh, you mean um, a Rust in Peace? The album well, no, Rust in Peace, yeah. Well, it was Holy Wars. Yeah, but the, the yeah, Holy oh, Wars. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, yes. Sorry, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So on the Rust in Peace, Canada's um, Extinction and then um, uh, Euthanasia. So fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so it'd probably be around there because I think um, you say James is a genius with Lars, but I think Dave Mustang is, is also. I totally agree. It's amazing what the riffs that he can play and sing over the top. I mean, I can't even play the riffs and he can just basically sing on top of it. It's insane. No, I, I mean, um, like, uh, you know, Megadeth. They're other beloved on this show. People like you know, kind of hate Dave or whatever because Dave is a bit of an asshole or whatever. But I completely agree. The My Friedman lineup: Rust in Peace, Countdown to Extinction, Euthanasia. I only did albums after that: Cryptic Writings, Risk, etc. But those three, especially Rust in Peace and Euthanasia, are all-time masterpieces. They stand up there with any Metallica album. And I've said this before on the show. Um, Marty Friedman's solo on Tornado of Souls is better than anything Kirk's ever played. I think that that might be the that might be my favourite ever guitar solo. It's just breathtaking. I, I I do love the sound of the band, and I said about the riffs and changing. They they have so many riffs in one song, mm -hmm. and just nicely come together in a in a nice structured way. Um, you know, unlike the St. Anger uh, song itself. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, if, if I had to pick one, it, it, right now it would be Megadeth. I mean, like, okay, let's just think about Euthanasia, Reckoning Day, Train of Consequences, Addicted to Chaos, A Two Le Monde, Elysia Fields, Killer Rose, Blood of Hero, Family Tree, Euthanasia. The whole album is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Like, guys, I always talk about Euthanasia, but if you haven't heard the album Euthanasia by Megadeth, which I think you turned me on to, Peter, I think you, you like, played The Killing Road or talked about The Killing Road or something, because I sort of knew that, oh, yeah, Dave was in Metallica and what's this about? But, yeah, that that will always be one of my all-time favorite albums. I just, I, it, back to front, guitar bliss, like... 
Yeah, and one of my favourite documentaries is the um, Oh, the Revolver. Uh, Evolver. The Evolver, yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. Euthanasia documentary. Yeah, I love that. That's a great documentary. Yeah, I also love that as well. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a one. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I, I, you know what's funny? I ask this question in every episode, and a few people have gone on to do their own podcast about bands because of it, which is great to hear. And a few people have said, Megadeth, I think three or four people, but no one's actually done one yet. But if anyone's out there listening and maybe wants to do a podcast, please do a Megadeth podcast. I've got to be honest with you, past 2001, <laughs> I'm not as in- I'm just looking on their Spotify now. They did a Countdown to Extinction live record from 2012 where they played the whole album live. That's pretty cool. I've not actually heard that. And they did a few of the big hits like Hangar 18 and Holy Wars and Peace Cell and stuff like that. But um, yeah, Megadeth. Are... But that was the that was the 30th anniversary as well. Was it 30th? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 30th anniversary. Fuck. Okay. So that that was the reason. I really hope they do a Euthanasia anniversary. But I, for some reason, people always prefer Countdown. But I think Euthanasia is the better record. I think it's the more one that sounds like a band. Yeah. Because of the way recorded Countdown, it's it's very kind of formulaic in terms mm-hmm. of Dave just did all, all, all the rhythm, so Marty, uh, Marty just did the solos on top, where I think Euthanasia is just a band playing um, and a very good plan, band playing very well. And the live takes that probably just adds to the album that they all did and recorded. Um the songs are amazing. So, but yeah, yeah, and I mean, um, Marty Friedman's solo career as well. Uh, scenes, I think, which was recorded when he was in Megadeth from like 1992. It's like all Japanese instrumental guitar shred. It's absolutely brilliant. Really, really good. And then to my taste, he got a little too Japanese as he went on. And like, I'm not as interested in it. But still, he's he's a madman as well. People don't talk about Marty Friedman enough. He's like a Paul Gilbert, Goffrey Govan type figure. I, I worship him. I mean, it's a testament to him as a guitar player. Like, he can create, I don't know how many solo albums he's got of these Tons. instrumental songs. Yeah. I can't imagine Kurt doing the same. <laughs> That's such, like a good worth, That's such a good point. An album's worth of something to say, um, let alone multiple albums or something to say, where he would just be the, the focus. Um, is a testament to Marty Friedman and how, how talented he is. Yeah, I'm just on Marty Friedman's Spotify now. So, yeah, he has this solo album called Dragon's Kiss before Megadeth, which is like a proper shreddy album I'm not really listening to. And then he has Scenes, which is great. And then, God, he's got loads of albums like with loads of Japanese musicians. He's got a live album, One Bad Motherfucker Live. I'm just looking at the set list. No Megadeth songs. I've got there's a few of his solo stuff and his kind of, you know, real guitar theatrics. But, um, yeah, guys, I think this has actually officially been the longest Alf Metallica episode ever. We've crossed an hour, which I don't think we've ever done oh, wow. on the show before. So, um, you know, this has been great. And, you know, I want to stress again that, you know, Peter is, um, you know, he's someone that I love in my life. He's a family member and someone that, you know, great to have him on the show and to go for this song. Let us know what you love about Sayanga. Peter, I always ask, is there anything to promote? I know, you, you know, you do web design as a trade or is there any like music you can turn people on to or anything like that? Um, do you have any online presence? A, I don't think you really do, do you? I don't really have an online presence. I'm just basically, I, I play a little bit of guitar, but that's just for myself. I, I work and I enjoy music. I don't uh, I don't really have anything to shout about. Um, I just Fair enjoy enough. listening to podcasts like these and discovering new things. Um, there isn't anything. No. 
There's no hidden gems that I don't think I, I, I know or hang on to more than anyone else um, would. Um, yeah. No, this has been, uh, no, this has been great. And, you know, me and Peter, you know, hang out regularly. We last uh, hung out in Birmingham. We saw Paul Gilbert, which was an awesome concert. We saw him sort of, it was kind of like him. He was doing lessons and shredding like in between his, in, his guidance, which was great to see. It was funny. I saw Eric Martin uh, live and he said, you know, he talks a lot more and he said he's not allowed to talk when he's in uh, Mr. Big. It's just about playing the songs and carrying on. And then we saw see Paul Gilbert and he just basically talks for about 10 minutes in between each song as well. So I guess all of them in their own solo careers just like to stay, stand in front of the mic and well, uh, chat to the crowd. Well, yeah, I mean, I mentioned uh, PMT before, this giant guitar store in Birmingham, my hometown in the UK. And me and Ryan uh, saw Billy Sheehan there doing a clinic. And he just talked all the time as well and then just did crazy. Uh, sadly, Mr. Big fans, although me and Peter are giant Mr. Big fans, uh, Pat Torpy, their drummer, passed away, which is crazy. And he was an incredible drummer as well, so I never got a chance to see him in a clinic. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have Peter back on the show. You know, I'm thinking that when I'm done with the whole Metallica run, which won't be that long, we're recording this mid-July, the show is going to be done, done, um, look at this, mid-October. So we've got about three months or so. God, three months, that's mad. Three months or so left to show. But we are going to keep doing our Metallica. We're talking about Metallica and we'll get Peter back. I'm able to do a Mr. Big episode or a Marty Freeman episode or a Megadeth episode and all that stuff like that. But um, yeah, as always, this has been Tom. Follow us at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, you want to correspond with me. Patreon is there. If you enjoy, you want to give back. There's a dedicated RSS feed there. So if you donate money monthly, you get access there. And I put all the episodes on there. You know, for instance, we're recording this episode a week before it will come out on the normal YouTube iTunes feed. But you'll get to listen to it today. All the top tens and we've got the you know, discussions and all that sort of stuff. Uh, check us out on the multiple platforms. We're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on everything else. Peter, this has been, uh, you know, a real pleasure, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's been, it's been fun.